and you're listening to teaching from Central Church in West Columbia, South Carolina. We hope that this message will help you experience Jesus in a new and exciting way. For more information, please visit us at centralnazarene.org. The greatest miracle of all is the miracle where God works in the hearts and lives of men and of women and of young people and of boys and girls, transferring them from creatures of darkness to creatures of light, transferring them from sons and daughters of the demonic to children of God. That is the biggest transformation. That is the biggest miracle of all. And uh, we are always... We are always in the process of becoming what God has called us to be. Uh, we, there's never a place to, uh, to uh, pull the oars up and just coast. We're always pressing forward. We're always pressing toward the mark, toward the prize of the high calling that is in Jesus Christ. Um, I have been, ever since Pentecost Sunday, been talking to you about the activity of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the, um, what, what, it's, what it does in us, uh, sometimes speaking in theological terms, trying to make it understandable, trying to make it in a, in a practical kind of way. And I want to talk to you about the hallmark of, uh, of the Christian faith and of the work of the Holy Spirit. And um, the, the hallmark, the the essence of, the substance of the work of the Holy Spirit is that our hearts are purified and filled with the love of God. If you could just wrap it all up in one little package, in one little sentence, in one little slogan, this is what it is. It is the Spirit of God purging and transforming the human heart Extracting the heart of stone and putting in a soft heart and filling that heart with the love of God. That's what it is. It is the fulfilling of Jesus' description of the first and second, and the greatest commandment and the second one like it, is loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It is nothing more, it is nothing less than that. That's what it is. And so, um, I, I think it was last week, I, I, I began with a question of like, when, I, when you hear the word holiness, what do you think of? And, and as in the church, we have generally kind of shied away. I'm talking about the church across the, across the West. We've just kind of shied away from that word because uh, it has been entangled with various schools of thought, with legalism and with uh, 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 maybe bad experiences that people have had in, in, in the church. And so we've kind of shied away and went to other kinds of terms. In fact, the most, the, probably about the most popular uh, 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 exchange of, of verbiage, and it's not a bad thing, it's just, it's just to show you the transition, is, is the term Christ-likeness, which is not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea, but Christ-likeness is holiness. They are not separated ideas. They are, they are, one, they are two sides of the same coin. And so I, I, I hope that, that we will maybe rediscover that word, and, and maybe it's, it's beauty and and, and what it calls for in the people of God. Um, I think maybe we have uh, uh, kind of slid away from, from the purity and the righteousness and the holiness uh, and, and the call to holiness 
that, that uh, the word of the Lord, the Spirit of God, the Father of the triune God, call upon the human family. So uh, let me read you some scripture to, to get us started. And I'm going to begin with the Gospel of John. John, the, the, not the Gospel of John, the Epistle of John. John chapter 1, the first Epistle of John, chapter 4, starting at verse 16. And this is what it says. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Let me say that again. <clears throat> and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we can have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's the, there's the concept of Christ-likeness. In the world, in this present world, not in the sweet by and by, but in this present world, John writes, we are like Jesus. Anybody want to repent? Anybody want to kneel and pray? In this world, we are like Jesus. Now he goes on to say, verse, six, verse 18, there is no fear in love. And another place says, perfect love casts out fear. Here it is. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So um, um, all love's excelling. It is, it is, there's a beautiful hymn written by Charles Wesley. We used to sing it. I haven't heard it sang. I don't even know when the last time I heard it sang. It is a beautiful hymn. We need to learn it, and we, we need to sing it again. I don't know how you play it with guitar. I always heard it with an organ and a piano. It's pretty powerful stuff. But the lyrics of it are just amazing. Let me just give you the first, uh, the first uh, uh, verse. Love divine, all loves excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling. We are the humble dwelling. All thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion. Pure, unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. Those are beautiful words written by Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, who was trying to communicate, communicate to us and to whoever read the lyrics, that, that it is this, this love of God that fills up our hearts and our lives and transforms us into new kinds of creatures that live like Jesus in the world. Let me read you one more passage of Scripture. This comes out of, out of uh, Romans chapter 5. I read this a, a, a couple Sundays ago, but it, it's, it's a beautiful passage. Let me read it again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified by faith, so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. So there you have Paul and you have John communicating to us that God doesn't pour something out into our heart. He pours himself into us and he is love and so he fills our heart and our life with the love of God. And, and, and if, if you could uh, experience that, if you can know that, uh, it, is, it is transformative in your life and in your mind and your interactions with people. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but sometimes there are some people who are just hard to get along with. You ever notice that? But the love of God that, is, that, it, that will fill up your heart will make it easier for you to deal with people, difficult people, uh, and people who are maybe cantankerous, or maybe somebody just doesn't like you. It will enable you and empower you to live with them in a holy and righteous way, and not to be reactive to their, their orientation, their way of being, how they act. You don't have to act how they act. You act how Jesus acts in the world. Thank you for that. I was going to wait for that. So it's very, very important. Now, um, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God is predominantly described as the Holy One, H-O-L-Y, Holy. He is the Holy God. And this is important. When it says that He is the Holy God, when He is holy, it's saying that He is separated from everything. There is nothing, there is nothing like Him. There is no other God beside him to the right or the left, above or beneath. He is the holy other one. W-H-O-L-Y. He is holy different. He is holy and he is wholly separate. He is, the, um, he is distinct from his creation. He is not one and the same with his creation, which would separate him from, which would separate Christianity, Judaism and Christianity from ideas like pantheism or, or Hinduism or Buddhism, or any New Age philosophy, which oftentimes, which primarily sees God as one and the same as the universe. That's why, in the popular culture, they will evoke the universe. But the universe is not God. The universe was created by God. He is wholly separate from it. It is not God. So when you evoke the universe, it is idolatry. Because God created the heavens and the earth. He is the holy other one. The prophet Habakkuk describes him as radiant in glory. Um, and his, uh, it is exclusively his own. And his, he is so pure, he is whole holy. His eyes are too pure to behold evil. That means to look upon it and to, to uh, acquiesce to it or to embrace it or to, to be a part of it. His eyes are too pure to behold or look upon evil. Isaiah, and this will be more familiar, Isaiah in his vision, when he was in the spirit, he was in the temple, and he had the vision of, 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 of God in the temple, he heard the angels of the Lord describing and calling out throughout heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and when he saw that, he didn't rejoice. He didn't go shouting around the tabernacle or, or the temple. What he did is he cried out, Oh my goodness, I am in trouble. I, my lips are unclean, and I dwell among a people whose lips are unclean. That was his response to the holiness of God. 
So he is a holy God. He is described as holy. And we could give you many instances in the Old Testament where God is described as the holy God. And, and, and so that's what the, the, uh, the, the books of the law were, were to give human instructions at that time on how to live and how to interact both with him and with each other because he is a holy God. And so he calls his people holy because they belong to him. And because they belong to him, they too are to live holy lives. We are not to be like the rest of the world. We are separated unto God, called unto holiness, which is a way of living. And, it, and, and what it is, and people have made all kinds of things about it, about what it is, but what it is is that, is that the love of God has been, has been poured out into the heart and life of the individual, and they have been transformed, and so they live like Jesus in the world. So, so when we get to the New Testament... So God is described primarily in the Old Testament as the holy God, the inapproachable, the, the one wholly separate from, the one high and above. He is, he is that God. But when we get to the New Testament, then there is a shift that takes place. It is a shift. The primary characteristic of God as, as revealed in Jesus is love. That is the message of the New Testament. Primarily when, it, when God is described, he is described as a God of love. And, and Jesus uh, uh, manifests that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So you see this in John and the Gospels and Paul, uh, that this is now the, this is, this is the New Testament description primarily of God is that he is love. So we don't do away with the Old Testament, we still have that. Without the Old Testament, the New Testament makes no sense. So what we do is those two concepts converge or merge, and so we have holy love. And, and that is not just the love of whim or the love of, of emotion or the love of sentiment. It is a specific kind of love. It is holy love. The holy describes the love. What we want to do in this contemporary age is, well, if it's done in a loving kind of way, then it's okay. Not from God's point of view. Love does not qualify a thing or make anything okay. It is a holy love that is acceptable to God. And God describes what is holy and what is love, not us. So, you know from your reading and your experience and your teaching that there are four primary, and I'm not, going to, I'm not going to belabor these, I'm just going to point them out. There are four primary Greek words for love. So we have the word eros, we have the word philio, we have the word storge, and we have a fourth term, which you, well, you know well, which is agape. So when it talks about the love of God, generally it uses the word agape. Now, eros is a, is a, a, a love of need. And um, uh, filio is, a, is, is brotherly love. It's goodwill. It's, it's uh, uh, you're my brother. Yeah, that's my brother right there. Hello, brother. How are you doing? It's that kind of thing. Uh, storge is, is, is a family kind of love. It's like uh, a, a child loves its mother. A mother has a, paternal, a, a maternal kind of instinct to just love and care for her children. Paternal love. It's that kind of love. It's kind of built into our, our, our DNA. It's kind of built into our, our mental and emotional framework. So eros is, is like a need love, and so, it's, it's, it's so uh, how, can you, how can you meet my needs? And so if we get in a relationship and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it, it flows out of this kind of, of love, then you're always having to try to meet my needs, emotionally, spiritually, uh, whatever, whatever I need. You are to meet it, and if you don't meet it, then there's a price to pay for that. 
because I'm, I'm, I'm going to operate out of that. And so if you don't meet my need, I'm not going to meet your need either. If you're going to act like that, I'm going to act like that. So a lot of human experience and love is based on that kind of thing. So if, if she shuts down and is quiet, you shut down and are quiet. If she's fussy, you're fussy. And on and on, whatever the case may be. Rather than operating out of this fourth dimension of love, which characterizes, which the New Testament writers use to describe God, it has, which the New Testament writers use to describe God. And guess what? It has nothing to do with how you feel. <laughs> it has nothing to do with how you feel. It has to do with who God is in the New Testament sense, and for Christians and in the church. It has to do with God is so as, and, and, and John writes, so as, as he was in the world, so are we in the world. And Jesus, even though he was reviled, he did not see a need to revile back. And although he was persecuted, he didn't have a need to revile back because he was acting out of a higher love, not of any kind of need love. It was a self-giving love. And it's costly, which is why most don't operate out of that. Because it's exhausting, it can be exhausting, and it will probably lead you to a cross where you have to lay your life down. Jesus did. Our love, unless you are paying attention, unless you are walking in the Spirit, unless you are filled with the word of the Lord, which shapes your mind and shapes your attitude and shapes your values and shapes how you live. If, 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 if the spirit of God is not guiding you, you're not keeping in step with the spirit, your mind is not shaped by the word of the Lord, you're going to operate out of a, sub, a substandard of love. And it'll be very, uh, your, your attitudes will be about what's going on with you, your values will be about what's going on with you, your energy will be spent on what's going on with you, your interest will be about what's going on with you, your attitudes toward others will be how they treated you, and on and on it goes. And the reason this is so is because the beauty of the face of God that we were originally created to manifest and to live in the world, the beauty of the face of God, the purity, the love, the, the, the glory of God, which, which, which we as human beings were stamped with at creation, as we read the first few chapters of Genesis, we know that the entire created order fell into disarray because of disobedience. And because of disobedience, brokenness entered into the world. Sin and brokenness entered into the world. And so though we were created and, and retained some residual marking of God, it's still on us. This, this thing which theologians call original sin or the sin nature, or the sin principle is at work in the world. And what happened is that we became distorted creatures. And from the fall until this very moment, every single beautiful little baby that comes into the world, comes into the world, distorted the image of God that they are created in and born into the world in is distorted, and, and they are marred and scarred. As beautiful as they are, as awesome as they are, as cuddly as they are, they come into the world screaming and crying, feel my need. And as they get older, they can scream louder. And they can punish you more by uh, take a toy from them and see what happens. Uh, the, you know, and if another kid uh, takes their toy, there's probably going to be some teeth marks somewhere. 
because we just kind of act that way. If someone blows a horn at you in traffic, what do you want to do? Blow the horn back. If someone gives you a particular kind of wave, none of you want to do that, but you may want to wave to them in a sarcastic kind of way. You want to, you want to react. You want to, there's just something about it. It's human nature. It's just, it's, uh, uh, you, want to, you want to give out what's been given to you. Well, not so with the people of God. It is so sad, and, and Chandler made reference to this in his prayer. It's so sad, and, and I see this as I, as I watch the news, and I, I see the brokenness, and I see human beings acting in, in ways that are so, like, so estranged from who Jesus is over and over again. You can go to the homes, or you can go to the store, or you can... You see videos on your, on your social media feed and you see human beings just acting out in ways that it just breaks your heart and, and, and how you, you, you know in your mind, you know from the scriptures, you know from your own heart and from your own transformation that, that, that we, we, are, we are called to such a higher way of living and being in the world. But depravity is here and brokenness is here and it breaks all around and I've said it so many times, I don't know how many times I've said it here, but, the, but the most, some, one of the most difficult things and one of the most sad things about sin and the nature of sin and its brokenness and the human being, and it goes so deep, it's so perverse, it's so through and through that when I sin, it's just not me. When I sin, if I do, if I do a wrong, it's not just me doing a wrong, but it's everyone around me has to deal with the consequences of that brokenness. Sin breaks all around. So it isn't like if you sin, okay, it's just you. No, that's going to come back to your community, to your people, to your family, to your spouse, to your children. So we need to be vigilant. But God is working. And even when it seems he's not working, he's working. Even when you think people are not responding, they're hearing I, I watched uh, a friend of mine uh, posted a video uh, of, a, uh, of a guy who's not a believer. And what was the song? <clears throat> he, a, a pastor friend sent him this song and told him to play it and listen to it. And he, and he did, and he does this online. And he, he takes various kinds of music and he listens to it. And, and then he'll critique it. He's a musician himself. And so he'll critique it. He'll talk about where the crescendos are, what he wished they would have put in there, what the bass line is doing, what the drum rolls are doing. And they should have put this in there. And he does a little critique on the song. So he's listening to the song. He doesn't know the song. And it's the song, um, um, uh, I can't think of the name of the song. Um, you know, there's, there is no wall he won't knock down. No, what's the name of that song? Reckless Love. Reckless Love. So he was listening to Reckless Love. The video, the camera's on him, and he's listening to this, and you can just see his countenance begin to change, and he's shaking his head. And, uh, and, and the message is just like hitting him because uh, he, he's aware. He, call, he calls God the, the great spirit. I mean, he's not a Christian. He's, he's not been to Sunday school. He, he says the great spirit. When After the song is over, he says, man, the great spirit is talking to me. 
you know? And so you can see, even when you think he's not working, even when you think that the people are just lost and they're, they're, just, they're just on their way to hell, well, they are, but God is trying to keep them from going there. And so he's speaking and he's working in ways that you just don't know. So he said right there on the video, I'm going to, I'm going to respond to my, the pastor. I'm going to respond to the pastor. He calls some pastor who he, know, he knows. So he's not absent of the gospel. He just is not a follower of Christ. But you can see the, how that God is working on him right on, right on the, uh, the video. So God is always working. So for those that respond, those that respond to the call of heaven, the call of God. So some of the um, old preachers used to call him the hound of heaven. You've heard a hound dog in a movie or maybe in your backyard if you live out in the, out in the, the uh, more rural areas. You know, a hound dog will get on a, a trail and he'll just bark and bark and he'll just find. That's the way the Spirit of God is. So when you finally, and it took me many years to finally, I heard the call many, many times long before I answered. But when I finally listened, when I finally listened, there he was, ready to respond, ready to rescue, ready to save. The moment anyone turns and, and responds to the call of God, he is there to rescue them. And, they, and as they accept God's forgiveness, and they accept the reconciliation from a broken relationship between the human heart and a holy God, what God does then is he, he gives them his Holy Spirit. He gives all of us his Holy Spirit. Anyone that will turn and, and receive, he will give them the gift of his Holy Spirit, which is the gift of himself. It's all about the relationship. It's, it's, it's so vitally important that we understand that it's not, it's not a confession, although it is a confession. It's not a form, but it has a form. It is about a deep, abiding relationship with the living God. The human heart, the human person in relationship with the living God. So he comes into communion and he himself breaks down the wall of separation and makes a, uh, a union between himself and the human person that responds. And that is a beautiful thing. They are born from above. And it's a wonderful thing. But as we move on through life, once one has made that confession, once the Spirit of God comes in, the Spirit of God will, will convict, will teach, will reprove, will correct, will, will uh, do everything the Spirit of God can do to draw you on into a holy life. To draw you on into a holy life. Now, what some people do is they prefer, remember Paul says um, of one in, in, in his writing, he says, uh, Demas has left us, having loved this present world. So the Spirit of God will, will call to someone, will speak to someone, will play a song at a particular time as they're riding down the road, trying to speak to them in their heart, turn around, stop that behavior, quit that, let that attitude go, whatever it is. But if they insist on acting out, living out, they prefer the present world to following God, then they will put out the Spirit's fire, they will quench the Spirit, and they'll go on out into the world. Now, that's, that's against everything that God is trying to do to draw them to himself. But as one will turn around, maybe it's an attitude, but you let it go. You got convicted of it and you just release it and let it go to God. But then as you go on, someone just irritates the daylight out of you and you find yourself constantly having to battle that source of irritation. And, or, or it may be a besetting sin that comes from your, from your youth and it's still there and it's, 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 it's overwhelming and it, it trips you up. Paul, the scriptures call it a besetting sin. It could be attitude, it could be gossip, it could be alcohol, it could be any numbers of things, things that trip you up. And you find, you find that, uh, that that's always making you stumble. 
and what almost everyone that you talk to <clears throat> talks about coming to a place in their life where they recognize something deeper has to be dealt with. There needs to be a greater work. And so the scripture says, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. And so, but if you do not have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not going to be filled because you'll fill it with other things that the world has to offer, whether it's sports, whether whatever it is, you'll satisfy that appetite, that appetite with other things. But if you hunger and thirst after God, He will meet that need. So I pray, I pray that you will have a, as David described it, a thirst for the water brook as a deer who pants and is tired from running in the woods. He finds a place to drink. Jesus cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink freely of the waters of life. What happens is, and, and we know that Paul describes this, you read, uh, you read, you read uh, 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 books of theology, what we realize is that Christians remain baby Christians until they reach a certain level of maturity. And Paul says, I cannot speak to you as, 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 uh, as, as spiritual, but at, now he's talking to the church, he's talking to believers, I cannot speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal. And what, what, what is taking place is that there is this carnal nature still at work in the life and the heart of the believer. And God does not want that there. What that does, what that carnal nature does is trips you up. And what it does, uh, there's another song, <clears throat> I think it's another Charles Wesley song, and also friend, friend, uh, uh, Fanny, Fanny Crosby uh, wrote a, a, a lyric like this. Take away our bent to sinning. Alpha and Omega B, that is the beginning and the end of my life. Be that. Take away my bent to sinning. Uh, so what happens is you are confronted by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, by the preaching, by the singing, that there are dimensions of our life that are not crucified, which is another word that Paul uses. Crucify. That is not something that we, we have around here. There are no crosses around here. So he's using a, 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 a first century image that everyone understood, that uh, when men were put on a cross, they died. So Paul said that old man that, is at, that resides within you, or that old woman, since we have men and women in here, uh, that old man, or that, what he's talking about is that old way, that old way, Paul says you have to crucify it. And see, what it, and, and if we just use the metaphor, use the analogy a little bit, what happens is, is that you have to choose to let that part of you that is a, that is a distortion of who you really are be put to death. So you have to be willing to lay down on the cross. But guess what? You can't crucify yourself. You can't do it. So what you can do, you can discipline yourself, and that's good. You ought to discipline yourself. You can lay things down, and that's good. We should lay things down like a dirty garment. Take them off. Take it off. But there comes a point, and this is, this is so crucial, if you don't get anything I said, I hope that maybe the Spirit of God will just use feeble words and somehow make this transformative and able to be heard. You can't crucify yourself. God has to do that. God has to do that. But you have to be willing to lay down. You have to be willing. If you're not willing, it's not going to happen. 
And you'll try the world and you'll try everything in the world and you'll never be satisfied because only God the Holy Spirit can satisfy the longings of your heart and mind. So you go all through life as long as you go and as long as you resist, resisting the fullness of the love of God that he has for you. You may have accepted salvation and, and thanks be to God, but all along the way, the carnal nature thwarts. You know what that the thwarts? What's, a, what's that word mean? Just go and talk to me. It just does. What's another word for thwarts? Not warts. Resist. We'll resist what God the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. So the carnal, the carnal nature, which is residing within us, and the world systems and our habits and our, 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 um, our, our, our ways of being that are not like him will constantly thwart, resist, hinder what God is trying to do through our life. But if we'll just recognize that, listen to the voice of the Spirit, be willing to lay down on a cross, you might can nail, as I think I heard Stephen Manley say, you can, might nail your your feet to the cross. That might be just laying something down that you know you ought not to be doing. And you might can nail one hand if you're willing. But who's going to get the other one? You can't do it. You can't crucify yourself. You can only lay down and say, here I am. Spirit of God, here I am. You can't say that one time and say that prayer just like that and, and it be done. It can be done. It's possible it can be done, but it's not probable. There's a dimension of faith I think is absent from our culture. And that is persevering in prayer, persevering in faith, and persevering until you break through. Because the enemy doesn't want to let you go. You're entangled and ensnared. You're entangled and ensnared and chained. And the chains don't want to break. And the demonic doesn't want to let go. The carnal nature holds on. But you have to persevere. Let me give you a quick story so I can wrap this up. I knew about this pretty much as I was able to understand because I was raised in the Wesleyan tradition. But like most everybody else, I resisted. But I finally, I finally gave my heart and life to Jesus. The Spirit of God came in. But sure like you, like, like most everyone else, after about a year or so, I began to realize, hey, wait a minute. I haven't followed through with this thing. I haven't, I haven't plumbed the depths of this thing. And I was in a revival, and I knew. The Spirit of God already told me, your, your heart needs to be sanctified. Your heart needs to be sanctified. I'm glad you're walking with me. I'm glad your sins are forgiven. But I want to do a greater work. I want to do something deeper in you that will change you. So I, I knew when revival started, this is my time. I, I purposed. God, I know what the truth is. I'm going to pursue it. So as soon as the preacher got done preaching, hallelujah, amen, I was waiting for him to get done. As soon as they opened the altar call, I went to the altar. I thought, God will recognize this hunger. I'm the first one out. He's going to sanctify my heart. I prayed for probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so, where I thought God had plenty of time to do what I asked him to do. I got up because I was done praying. I'd said all I knew to pray. Got up, went out. I knew I, my heart had not been struck by the fire of God. So the next night, I said, well, okay, God, you, you didn't want to, I don't know, it didn't seem to happen to me. I'll meet you again. 
soon as church was, soon as the preacher quit preaching, hallelujah. Can I get an amen? As soon as he was done, as soon as the music started playing, I didn't even wait. If anybody was here hungry, come on. I, I stepped out of my seat and I came and knelt and prayed. I prayed again. I prayed 15, 20 minutes. I gave God plenty of time to do what he needed to do, what I thought. But I didn't feel any fire. I didn't feel any transformation. I didn't feel anything. Got up and went back. I did that seven times. But I wasn't going to stop. And I would pray throughout the day. Okay, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep coming back until you do it. I'm going to keep coming back. My heart needs to be changed. I want to be all yours. But on the seventh time, it kind of reminds me of, of uh, the prophet coming out and said, tell the name and go, dump seven, go jump seven times in the river. Why seven? Can't, why can't God do it on the first one? Why can't he do it in a clean river? You, don't, you can't tell God what to do. He knows you. He knows what needs to be done. But on the seventh time, I was praying my heart out. God, you have got to sanctify my heart. I don't even know for sure what you'll do with me. I don't know for sure what it all means. I know what I've been taught. I know I want to be all of yours. And I, be, I began to pray and pour out my heart. My words began to flow together. My, 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 my heart began to be enraptured. And there was a desperation. There was a desperation for God. And I can't tell you, and this is what happened to me. I don't know what will happen to you or what, what your story is. But as I, when I came to, there was a crescendo of prayer and a crescendo of, of raising in my spirit. My hands were up. When I came to, I was standing on top of the altar just like this. And it was kind of orders just like that. And I was standing there, hands raised up. And all of a sudden, I came to myself. And I went, wait a minute. I'm standing up here where everybody can see me. <laughs> Back down. Because that's the last thing I wanted to see. But I was hungry and I was desperate for God. And on that night, God sanctified my heart. Now let me say, as, as, uh, go ahead and stand. That'll, that always helps a preacher stop. This is very, very, very important. Very important. I've used the words dynamic and static. Remember, it's a real living relationship. I still had flaws. I still made decisions that were stupid. I know that's hard to believe. I would still say something that someone else construed as hurtful but never with any intent. See, someone said to me one time when I was talking about perfect love, he said, you, you mean perfect? You, you don't love perfect? I went, well, from inside of here, I do. It may not be communicated out there. For instance, give me an example. Like one time I came home and, and uh, the wife had worked really hard, painted a wall, cleaned the house real good. And uh, did I notice that? No, because I'm a guy. So she had moved furniture, taped things off, painted. She expected when I came in, like, wow, you did all of that? That's amazing. Wow. So her spirit's like, you know, he didn't even notice. Well, I was completely faultless. I might not be blameless, but I was faultless because there was no ill will. There was no intent to disregard that whatsoever. But my behavior hurt her feelings because I didn't recognize what she had spent the afternoon doing. But there was no maliciousness or ill will. 
that was just human nature. It was just, I missed that mark. Let me say that. It is not sinlessness. In that moment, I missed the mark, which is the definition of sin. So what I had to do, once I became conscious of what I had done, I had to say, well, you should get your feelings hurt anyways. No, no, that, that's the wrong, wrong word. I am so sorry that I was that blind that I didn't see. Thank you for working so hard. And I was readily forgiven. So it's not a perfection does that you'll never say something that you shouldn't have said. What it means is the Spirit of God will come quickly and say, wait a minute, wait, 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 that ain't right. That's not me. And you quickly obey and respond. It doesn't mean when you go to buy a car, you should have bought A, but you bought B. It's not a magic pill. It's not a magic wand. You may have bought car B when you should have bought car A. That's not a sin. That's a misjudgment. So we don't want to say more than we need to say, but we want to say what we need to say so that your heart can be clean and pure and the love of God fill your heart and life so you just love people. So you just love people. Not easily offended. Love covers a multitude of sin. Let love do its perfect work. So here, let's close with a prayer. Lord Jesus, song Chandler's playing. We're, we're leaning into every word. Our hearts desire you. We want to love you with our heart, whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. To be holy is unto the Lord. You paid such a great price for our rescue. The least we can do is offer ourselves to you. So let it be the hungering and thirsting of your heart this week. To follow after him. Follow peace with all. And let Jesus reign in your heart and life power of the Holy Spirit as he cleanses and he keeps on cleansing and purges and keeps on purging and fills and keeps on filling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you. Keep hungering and keep thirsting. It's an all, it's a ongoing life experience. Lord bless you. Thanks for joining us at Central Church today. If you'd like to get involved, please visit us at centralnazarene.org.